You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If this is your first time at Mountain View, welcome. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to have you this morning, if you'll fill out one of those little connection cards for us and uh, take it right out there to the porch, somebody will take that from you and uh, give you a gift bag. It's just our small way of saying thank you. As uh, Randy and Andrew said, we want to invite everybody to the pool party at the Andrews Pool this afternoon. Um, It is a um, pool party only for Mountain View folks, but we would love for you to invite people. There's room for as many as 300 there, and so there'll be a lifeguard on duty as well, so come and hang out. It's a good opportunity for us as a church family just to be together. Well, we are presently walking through the book of Exodus, and we've come to um, really a pivotal passage this morning. Uh, I would describe it as a hinge between the first part of Exodus and the second part of Exodus. Chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find one underneath one of the seats in front of you, and I invite you to take that up and turn to the second book of the Bible, uh, to chapter 18, so that you can follow along with us as we walk um, verse by verse through this passage of God's Word. Exodus chapter 18, the Holy Spirit writes... Beginning in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in all that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. 
When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing isn't good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any smaller matter they'll decide themselves. So it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away. To his own country. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. And God, I just ask that you will bless the very simple reading and hearing of it. The amazing thing is, every time we gather in this place and we read from your word, we have the opportunity to hear your voice. God, I pray that you would give us spiritual ears to hear this morning in a life-changing way, that you would help us to hear in such a way that we are convicted of our sin, convicted of our self-centeredness, convicted of our tendency to depend on ourselves, and that you would allow us to hear in such a way this morning that your Holy Spirit would set us free from that, that your Holy Spirit would remind us of the great king we have in Jesus, the king who has liberated us from sin and the king who leads us in procession, the king who guides us by his present spirit and his word, the king who even now is among us to minister to us. May it be so very clear this morning that everything that is said from this pulpit is about him. In his name we pray. Amen. Now for the last few weeks, we have been walking with the children of Israel through the wilderness. And as we have wandered with them through the wilderness toward the destination of Mount Sinai, we've watched the children of Israel wrestle with thirst and hunger and thirst again. And we've watched them encounter a physical enemy, and we've watched God provide for them and prevail over that enemy, thus giving Israel greater opportunity to trust in this God who has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. 
Well, this particular passage, frankly, appears a little out of place. This particular passage isn't necessarily a test in the same way that the others were. In fact, if anything, this particular passage, as I said earlier, is basically a hinge. It connects the two halves of the book of Exodus. It reminds us of everything that came before and prepares us for everything yet to come in the book of Exodus. And so I've essentially divided today's sermon into two points that highlight both of those things and that hopefully help us wrap up where we've been and pave the way for where we're headed. The first half of the book of Exodus really showcases the fact that Yahweh is the liberator of our people, of his people, rather. The first half of the chapter brings to a close the first half of the book of Exodus by highlighting and celebrating what God has done for Israel. More than that, the first half of the chapter, and this is incredibly significant, the first half of the chapter sees outsiders coming to hear about and to worship the God of Israel because of what he's done for Israel. Now, if you look back through the first half of the book, you'll see that one of the major intentions of God in the book of Exodus is that the nations might know that he and he alone is the God above all gods. Now, if you'll see in your notes, I've listed several scripture references from the first half of the book of Exodus that indicate this. I want to highlight one this morning. Listen to what Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all of my plagues on you yourself and on your servants. Why? So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So here at the beginning of chapter 18... Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who is not an Israelite, but a Midianite. He comes bringing Moses' wife and Moses' two sons back to him, assuming that Moses had probably sent them away uh, when all the things started to go down in Egypt so that he could keep them safe. And what we see through Jethro is a fulfillment of these words in the first half of the book of Exodus, that the nations might know Israel's God. What we really see fundamentally is God's great missionary heart drawing those who are outside of Israel to himself that they might come to know him. So let's look at the text. Exodus chapter 18 as we read, it begins this way. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard. He heard of all that God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel. And so he comes, bringing Moses' family back to him. But more than that, 
curious to hear from Moses himself about all that God had done for the people of Israel. So he heard, and then in verse 5 it says, Jethro, his father-in-law, came with his sons and with his wife. And then, of course, it says that Moses and his father-in-law greeted one another. They went into the tent, and basically Moses recounted to Pharaoh everything that God had done for the people of Israel. Now, what does the text say was Jethro's response? Verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then Jethro heard, Jethro came, Jethro rejoiced. And then verse 10 says, Jethro blessed the Lord. Jethro himself worshipped the God who delivered his people out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under their hands. He rejoiced, and then he himself worshipped. Verse 11 says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. This is, this is, in a sense, almost like a conversion experience. Jethro, a pagan priest, a Midianite, comes and hears of all that the Lord God has done for the people of Israel. He rejoices, blesses the Lord himself, and then offers up a sacrifice of worship to the living God. Now, the scene culminates in verse 12, right, where the nations are actually gathered around the presence of the Lord. Look at what it says. And Jethro, Moses, his father-in-law, brought this burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. That is the culminating verse of the first half of the book of Exodus. It is Israel plus the nations being redeemed and gathering together to share a meal in the presence of the Lord. You and I need to realize that this has been Yahweh's goal all along, the goal through which he intended to accomplish through the nation of Israel. In fact, he told Abraham as much in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what God said to him. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of what? A multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, plural, and kings, 
shall come from you. So right here we see a partial fulfillment of Yahweh's plans, a, a partial fulfillment that is ultimately then fulfilled in the mission of the church given to, by, given to us by Christ the King. The Lord Jesus sent forth his disciples to gather in the nations under his kingship. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And ultimately, at the end of God's story, the, the grand vision of heaven that we find in Revelation is of a multi-ethnic people made up of kingdom citizens from all nations, worshiping before the throne of God, and essentially praising the God of Israel in the same way that Jethro was. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, which is what we're talking about in the book of Exodus. Salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So right here at the midpoint of the book of Exodus, the Holy Spirit wants to show us this isn't just about Israel. This is about the nations. This is about the freedom of humanity. The liberation of all peoples everywhere into relationship with God that we all together might dwell with God in his presence forever. You see, the God who liberated Israel from Egyptian slavery, intends to liberate a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and ethnic group on the planet in order to make us into one people reconciled unto him that we might enjoy fellowship with him at his table forever. Now, freedom. Freedom is the longing of every human heart, and rightfully so. Deep down, we all know that there is something holding us back. Deep down, we all know that there is something preventing us from becoming all that we somehow know we can be. And as long as human beings have wandered the wilderness outside the Garden of Eden, we've been trying to break the chains. 
We've been trying to discover the, the right combination to unlock the gates so that we can go back into Eden and take from the tree of life on our own terms. We've been trying to unlock the chains so that you and I can free ourselves to live as we please in a world where there are no borders, there are no barriers, there are no things holding us back. Culturally, this is kind of where we are now, we, we tend to believe that we wear the shackles of the past. We tend to believe that if we can just throw off history and throw off traditions and throw off outdated morality, if we can just technologically engineer our way to a better future, then we will be saved. You see it everywhere. Everywhere. Here's the problem. We will never deliver ourselves. Ever. I don't care whose politicians' promises you buy into. Right? We got ourselves into this mess when we chose to trust the voice of the serpent who convinced us that we could make a better world by simply taking the knowledge of good and evil into our own hands and carving out a path for ourselves where we determine what is good and what is bad, where I become my own authority. In a very real sense, as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, this is in our DNA. We need a deliverer. We need a deliverer. And we cannot look within to find one. The text says in verses 8 and 9, that Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done for Israel. That Jethro rejoiced because Yahweh had what? Delivered God's people out of the hand of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord who has what? Delivered you. Look, if, if human beings would be liberated, if we would become truly free people, free from the devil, free from slavery to sin, which ultimately amounts to our hell-bent intention to do things our own way, then you and I must look to the God who delivers we must look to the deliverer, the one who announced his arrival with these good words. 
Listen to what the Gospel of Luke says in chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. He unrolled the scroll and found the place in Isaiah, by the way, where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed where? On him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you know the rest of the story, that got him in quite a bit of trouble. Um, Big trouble. It's exactly right. But here was the deliverer. Here was the liberator, the rescuer. God's chosen servant, Jesus. He comes into a sin-soaked, enslaved world, and he says, I've got good news for you. I'm here to liberate the oppressed. And set the captive free. Because of the deliverance of Israel, Jethro experienced firsthand for himself what it meant to be set free. His confession in verse 11 is stunning. Jethro says, now I know. Now I know. Because of what God has done for Israel, that Yahweh is greater than what? All other gods. Now I know that there is no one like him. Have you had a now I know that the Lord is greater than all God's encounter with him? As Jethro did. Have you come to realize that idols hold out the promise of freedom but never deliver? Have you come to learn That the Lord God of Israel is the only one who makes the kinds of promises that he actually delivers upon. And have you come to realize personally and by the power of the Holy Spirit that there is none like him? A now I know encounter with King Jesus is a life-changing encounter. Now signifies 
Something is different right here and right now than it was before. Now signifies a change, a fundamental point where life is different than it was. Now, now I know. And now I know encounter with Jesus is personal. Man, Jethro said, now, now I know. Now I know. Now, now I've, I've seen what God did, and I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. Now I know. I know. That's more than something intellectual. In the Hebrew mind, Knowing something was intimate, personal, and experiential. It connected the head and the heart and the hands. Now I know because I've seen with my own eyes, I've experienced in my own heart that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. I ask you this morning, have you had a now I know encounter with King Jesus? Has he delivered you, liberated you from the kingdom of darkness? Has he set you free from your past? Is he setting you free from your present tendencies to, to run back to Egypt? Now I know. Jesus is the only one who can liberate us from the kingdom of darkness in such a way that we come to the God of Israel and say, there's none like you. He is the king that we all need. Now things take a turn the following day. In verse 13, we read the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. The second half of chapter 18 highlights what's to come in the remainder of the book of Exodus, the fact that Yahweh has liberated his people in order to lead them. Now the next day is apparently take your father-in-law to work day, in the Israelite camp. So that's what Moses does. He gets up, he goes to work, and he says, Dad, why don't you come with me? So the text says that when Moses' father-in-law observed all that he was doing for the people, he started asking questions. Isn't, it, isn't that like the stereotypical father-in-law thing? Hey, man, like, I don't mean to pry, but why are you doing it like that? I got a better way. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing? Now, <clears throat> I want to say this. Before you and I mine this half, of, this half of chapter 18 for leadership wisdom, which is here, we cannot and must not forget 
that this passage has a place in the context of Exodus and in the larger purpose of this book in the story of redemption. Let's ask a couple of questions then, okay? Number one, what was Moses doing? Well, he answers his father-in-law in verse 15. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses is essentially holding court every single day over every single situation that emerges among some two million people. Now let that sink in just a second. Everyone is coming to Moses for wisdom. After all, these people have lived in Egypt for 400 years and they're being called into relationship with God, this God who's going to call them to live differently. And frankly, y'all, they don't know how to do that. So they're coming to Moses for wisdom. And in a very real sense, Moses is here governing the people. And he's wearing himself out in the process. So let's ask this. What does Moses' inability show us? Look at what the text says. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing isn't good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is what? Too heavy for you. You're not able to do it by yourself. Now this is the second time in as many chapters where you and I have been introduced once again to the weakness of Moses. To the inability of Moses to lead this people in the way that these people need to be led. Why? What, 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 is, what is God doing? What's he preparing the people for? In the end, Moses can't govern this people because God never intended Moses to govern this people. Yahweh will be their king. And Yahweh will lead them in the way that they should go. Remember, we've said it many times before, but Yahweh has always been the hero of the book of Exodus. And that will not stop when we enter the second half of the book. Look, it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence whatsoever that this particular scene comes right before the children of Israel arrive at Mount Sinai where they will remain for 15 months. And while they are there at Mount Sinai, more importantly, God will gift them with his law and his instructions. In other words, God has liberated this people in order to lead them, in order to guide them, in order to teach them the way that they should go. 
You see, through his law, God intends to teach wisdom not just to Moses, but to all of his people. By showing us that Moses cannot possibly speak into every situation that these people face, God is showing us that they need something more. They need God to instruct them and lead them, which is exactly what he will do through his word. Now, this is exactly why one of Moses' main responsibilities becomes the teaching of and the application of God's words. Look at what Jethro says. Jethro says in 19, now obey my voice. I'm going to give you some advice. And God be with you if you take it. Three things you should be doing. You should represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. In other words, you should what? Pray for the people. Responsibility number one. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Responsibility number two, instruct them in God's word. Take that word, apply it to the stuff of everyday life and help them understand the way in which they are to walk with God. So responsibility one, pray for the people. Responsibility two, instruct the people in the scriptures. Now just as the people of Israel were, people today are starving for wisdom. We have a plethora of information. We are inundated more than at any point in history with information. What we are sorely lacking is wisdom. What we are sorely lacking is truth married to life. And that's what Moses was to give God's people. This is why Moses kept occupied from morning till night. Because the people wanted to know how to live. All of us are too. It's it's why the self-help section in most brick-and-mortar bookstores is one of the largest sections in the store. Which again takes us back to that whole thing that all we're doing is trying to deliver ourselves. Look, here's the problem. Collectively, we've bought into what one journalist calls solutionism. The belief that we have the resources and smarts to under our own steam solve any problem. Jethro told Moses, buddy, you're not going to get it done like this. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the people. You see, through this text, God is calling you and I back to the ancient path. He's calling us to immerse ourselves in the study of the scriptures, 
To have our entire mental world remapped according to its stories and its instructions as we read it and reread it and reread it and ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. You and I will never discover the wisdom necessary to navigate the wilderness by looking within or by looking to the latest guru or the latest so-called proven program. We must look to God together and ask him to teach us and to lead us. Now I want to prepare you for what's to come. In chapter 19, the children of Israel are going to arrive at Mount Sinai. There they will remain for the rest of the book of Exodus, for all the book of Leviticus, and for part of the book of Numbers. There at Mount Sinai, God will give them his words, starting with the ten big ones. And then in chapter 21... Through chapter 22 and through chapter 23, God is going to give them what is collectively called the Book of the Covenant. The Book of the Covenant, in our minds, is made up of all kinds of legal minutiae that we just don't understand, like you should not boil a calf in a mother goat's milk. We don't quite understand it. But here's the major point we're going to see when we get there. God intends to govern every aspect of his people's lives. From what they eat, to what they wear, to how they worship, to how they conduct business, to how they conduct their relationships with their spouses and with their parents and with their kids. The point being, even now, as you and I have been liberated by King Jesus, he is Lord of everything, and he doesn't just want a piece of your life. Jesus will not just be an accessory. He will be king. And he's calling us to hand everything over to him. The problem in the American church is that we think we think we're the center of the equation and Jesus is an accessory to get us what we want. Most Christians in our culture are, culture are woefully ignorant of a biblical worldview. A worldview by which you and I make decisions. A worldview by which you and I live. We think God's just fine with what we do. In fact, you and I live in such a way that we expect God to simply bless our decisions. It's not what it means to be God's people. He's liberated us, not so that we can say, peace out, see ya, thanks. No. He liberates us that we might now bow the knee before Jesus and serve him as king. The gospel that says Jesus is Savior only is a false gospel. He is Savior and Lord. 
the king we need. Because he liberates us and he gives our lives purpose as we serve him. Now Jethro advises Moses to do one other thing. Look at what the text says. Verse 21, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and tens. And give them real responsibility, okay? Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter, they're going to bring it to you, but all the small matters, they will decide themselves. Look for able men, Jethro says. Men who fear God, men who place God above all else in their lives, men who are trustworthy. Let these men take on real leadership responsibility. Let them judge the people at all times. In other words, let those men take the scriptures and wisely apply them personally to the everyday issues that people are facing. Now, in a community where God is present and God is leading, this makes sense. After all, the emphasis is not to be on one person, but on the God who liberates and leads, on the God who instructs. The people of God are not to devolve into a cult of personality. We're to be led by God's spirit through God's word. In other words, the emphasis is on God's leadership. Now, this is why we have a team of pastors at Mountain View. Three of us, we get our paychecks from Mountain View Church, but all of us, pastors and elders, are called to do the work of praying for you and helping you navigate the wilderness by faithfully pointing you to Christ and shining the light of the Word of God into the circumstances and situations of your everyday lives. Look, this is the core of spiritual leadership as God intends it. This was a good setup for Moses. This was a good setup for the men called into action alongside him. This was a good setup for the people. The people received quicker, better, and more personal attention. Which would you rather have? A judge who heard three cases a day or a judge who attempted to hear 500? How many of you know who the elders of Mountain View Church are? Ah, I need to do a better job of reminding you that there are 10 men in this church who are called to shepherd you and can shepherd you in the midst of the everyday challenges that you face. Did you know that? There are 10 elders, 10 shepherds here with whom I partner in ministry, who are my partners in ministry. And it's important that the Lord has structured his church this way. Now look, to be sure, there's, to be sure, there's also a vision of the entire church here 
that it's important for you and I to see. You and I are to be a people who are being taught the word of God in such a way that you and I are growing in wisdom in our everyday lives. A people who are being equipped by the word of God to disciple one another, to help one another navigate the wilderness under the leadership of King Jesus. A people where leadership is not in the hands of one person because frankly there is only one good shepherd who can bear the weight of the church. His name's Jesus. In that sense you might call King Jesus the great delegator. In the end, he's the king that we need, the king that our hearts are deeply longing for. He liberates us and he leads us. He frees us from slavery and he shows us the way we should go. I guarantee you, you need him a lot more than you need me. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you so much for giving us your word, God, I pray that as we make a transition to the second half of the book of Exodus, as we leave behind the plagues and the deliverance at the Red Sea, as we leave behind the the struggles and the challenges and the lessons of the wilderness, and as we enter into This phase in the life of Israel where they've come to this mountain to learn from you. God, I pray as we move forward that we would seek to learn from you too, that our hearts and our minds would be open, recognizing that you liberated us to lead us. So God, show us the way that we should go. Grant us wisdom. Help us to live in alignment with who you are and who you would have us to be, that you might get glory through us. Lord, today, perhaps there's someone here. Someone here who has never had a now-I-know encounter with Jesus the King. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress upon their hearts the fact that they are not free here today. The fact that they are living an enslaved life, enslaved to their own desires, their own dreams, their own passions. God, help them to see that that hasn't worked in the past, it will not work in the future. And God, help them to give everything to you, to bow the knee to Jesus and to find in him one who is the great deliverer, to find in him one who will lead and guide and direct. Oh, Jesus, we're so grateful for you. Help us now as we worship you as our great king to remember that you've liberated us to lead us. In your name we pray, amen.